You are listening to the podcast of Calvary Church in Irwin, Pennsylvania. For more information, you can visit us online at calvaryirwin.com. Now today, I don't know if you know what today is. Um, You might not be familiar. Maybe you are. If you aren't, I'm sorry. Today is a really big day. The Steelers are playing the Browns. And um, not only playing the Browns, if they win, they potentially could make the playoffs. And we know the, the Bills and the Jets are going to do their part, and we're going to make the playoffs. And Kenny Pickett is making a run. And this is going to be a good day. This is a good day, right? Isn't this a good day? Um, and uh, being in true Pittsburgh fashion, we have our own language. I don't know if you know that. If you don't, you must be new. But we have our own language. Like, we like to say certain things and have certain words that no one else in the world recognizes. When I went to college in southwest Missouri, I thought most of the words that we have were normal. Like, um, I remember asking someone where a Mac machine was, and they looked at me funny. And I said, a Mac machine, you get money out of it. You mean like an ATM? I said, yes, a Mac machine. They were like, I have no idea what you're talking about. Um, and, and don't get me started on when I went to Walmart looking for a buggy. People were out of their minds. They thought I was going crazy. But in this area, like, there's this unique Pittsburgh dialect that we have. And it refers, uh, there's this one word I want to kind of look at today and dive into. It's, it's a word that refers to someone uh, that's curious, asks a lot of questions, and just downright nosy. We call that person what? Nebby. 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 You guys know it. You got it. Now, uh, by a show of hands, how many of you ever, ever been called Nebby? Raise your hands real high. There we go. We got a lot of Nebby people. Uh, for, those, for those watching online, why don't you like, shout out if you've uh, been called Nebby before. Or we have a lot of friends at shelters uh, across McKeesport in the city of Pittsburgh that participate every week in our services. And we're just so blessed to have you with us. Why don't you give us, raise your hand uh, in our shelters there, those shelters. Uh, if you've ever been called Nebby. And, and I know there are a lot worse things you could be called than Nebby, like being a jagoff. I don't know if I can say that in, pit, in church, but um, we said it. There we go. Um, but, but we're not calling anyone that today, okay? Because today is Pittsburgh Steelers Browns Day, and we're all united together in, in hopes that the Steelers will win. Now, I, I digress. The idea of being nebby, all right, uh, is often seen as kind of a, an annoying thing. Like, you don't want to be called nebby. No one wants to be called nebby. But I want to suggest to you today that maybe... Uh, it's healthy to be at least like just a little nebby. Uh, like, like, are you really a good parent if you don't ask your kids how their day went at school? Or, or like, are you a good friend if, if, if you don't ask your friend uh, how, you know, things are going with their new job or, or the new workout routine or whatever they're walking through? Too nebby might be bad, but like a little nebby, I think is, is okay, it's good. And I was really tempted today to entitle today's message, Nebby About Needs, but I thought that might be like too Pittsburgh or Yinzer. So um, instead, we're talking about being curious about your needs. That sounds a lot more, uh, you know, uh, developed or whatever. Uh, if you really like the word nebby, though, every time I say curious, you can just think nebby in your head, okay? Uh, and who would have ever thought that we'd use the word nebby this many times in a sermon uh, this early? I'm going to try to ease up on it. Now, uh, this month, we've been talking about being a church without walls. Last week, we talked about the first uh, kind of responsibility, the first step to being a church without walls is being clear on Scripture. And, and if you weren't with us, uh, we talked about that Scripture is our guide 
And our community is our goal. Scripture is our guide and our community is our goal. That scripture becomes this filter, like it's a guide for us. It's not just a, uh, something we lean on in difficult times. It's actually a guide for our lives. But, but we, we aim that guide at our community because we're here to transform our community. We're not just here to exist and gather. We're here to go. And uh, next week, we're going to be talking about how uh, we can be and how we need to be compelled with action. And we'll close out the last two weeks of this series talking about being comfortable with the uncomfortable. And the last Sunday of this month is our Vision Sunday. We're going to be sharing updates and reports from this past year and all that God has done. And uh, that week, we're going to be talking about being clear on our mission. Now, when it comes to being curious or, or nebby, I think it's often gotten a bad rap because of sayings like, uh, curiosity killed the cat. I don't know if you've heard that. Um, like curiosity is like this negative thing, this bad thing. But, but curiosity is actually a really healthy thing that I wanna, I wanna show you today. You see, without curiosity, we don't learn. We maintain our current state of circumstances. Our brains actually become stagnant. So, so studies have actually shown that those who are more curious have better, better cognitive abilities and, and consequently show improved brain function years later in life. So curiosity is good for you as a person biologically. It's good for you mentally, even socially. And, and I believe it's not just good for you individually, but I think it's also good for us as a church. Like the same that is true for an individual is, is true for us collectively, as, as we as a church practice being curious about what's happening around us in our community, we'll find that our brain, meaning our, our strategies as a church, our goal of ministry, will be more precise and more, more accurate. And, and just as a curious person will find their, their cognition extending through their life and, and better function later in life, our ability to be curious about what's happening around us as a church will allow our church to be here for many years to come. That we don't just become stagnant. We don't just uh, uh, become inward focused. That's because th this simple idea I want to share with you today that's really built around the most basic question of a curious person. And it's this idea that your why will be most clear when curiosity is most near. And, and I don't know how you are, but I have young kids, okay? And uh, my young kids, especially my youngest ones, love to ask why. And it's like they will ask why a hundred times in 60 seconds about every little thing I do. Why do they do that? Because they're curious. They want to know what's happening and why I'm doing it. And, and as annoying as it might be, it's really important. Uh, and and uh, the, the same is true, you know, for us. When, when we can recognize our why, our why for what we're doing and why we're doing it, whether you're in your workplace as a parent, whether you're just uh, serving and helping, whatever it might be, when you recognize your why, that's really important. I mean, the, the thing is, though, you will never recognize your why. You'll never identify that why. You'll never have a clear understanding of your why if you're not curious, if, if you're not asking questions, if you're not seeking that out. The more curious we become about the world around us, the more clear our why can become. Now, there are two types of curiosity. You might not know this. The, the first kind of curiosity is called epistemic curiosity. Uh, let me explain what epistemic curiosity is. Oh, I don't know if you've ever gone down a rabbit hole link clicking on the internet. You like click one link and then like 10 links later you're way beyond where you thought you'd be. Um, or maybe you've gotten so obsessed with a favorite book series or, or show that you've been watching and you research everything you could about it. Like you just wanna know about that topic. That's called epistemic curiosity. It's the drive to eliminate information gaps and to learn new information. Epistemic curiosity. When you feel that thirst to acquire new knowledge, uh, your brain actually responds as if you're, you're really thirsty or hungry. 
Uh, that's when the areas sensitive to unpleasant conditions in your brain start to light up. And that's why it feels so good to satisfy your curiosity. Like when you discover something new. You, you can uh, thank all those, that dopamine in your, your brain for, for that. that like that's, that's that fulfilling feeling. That's epistemic curiosity. The second type of curiosity you might find yourself expressing is empathetic curiosity. You know, human life is built on relationships and interactions between people, and empathetic curiosity is the drive to know more about other people and those around you and how they think and how they feel and what they're doing. When you are in comfortable social situations, your curiosity state is, is more pleasurable According to research, and, and again, that's, that's when a dopamine releases in high levels as you pursue that type of curiosity. So these two types of curiosity. Epistemic curiosity is really about information and learning information. Empathetic curiosity is really about people and getting to know people better. And, and this might sound real, like a really scientific idea, and I'm not trying to go a mile deep here with this, but I believe this is equally a deeply spiritual concept. And that's not simply my opinion, but what we see take place in the New Testament, in the book of Acts which was nothing short of remarkable. In, in the work of the Holy Spirit that took place as thousands of people came to know Christ, uh, the Holy Spirit, as he was filling people, actually piqued early believers' curiosity. In, in other words, the more believers were filled with the Holy Spirit, the more curious they became about the needs around them. Isn't that, isn't that really interesting when you look at it? If you do a study of the book of Acts and think of it from that angle, like it's fascinating. I, I think it's fascinating given the stereotype that's developed in recent years for Christians. How, how Christians are detached, rigid, and, and often oblivious to the world around us. Uh, one, one saying I've heard is that someone can be so heavenly minded that they're no earthly good. Uh, I, if, if you read the Bible though, like if you read throughout scripture, it's not supposed to be that way. It's like the opposite. The more heavenly-minded people became in Scripture, the more the Holy Spirit helps each and every one of us to become like Jesus, the more in touch we should become with the needs around us and the needs of our world. And this is what happened right out of the gate. Uh, as 120 followers of Jesus in the first century are gathered in this upstairs room, downtown Jerusalem. They're filled with the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. And, down, and, and as they're filled with the Holy Spirit, that same day, 3,000 more people began following Jesus. And the result of this wasn't just uh, that there were now more followers of Jesus in Jerusalem, like they were gathering more and more people. The result was this thing called the church was formed. You might be like, what are you talking about? Like, the church has always been here. Actually, the church has not always been here. The church has not always existed. Like, what we know as the American church is, is kind of a, a, a version of something that happened 2,000 years ago and has morphed and changed and adapted to the world around it to, to, to fulfill the mission that Jesus has called us to. But the church originally was started as thousands of people started following Jesus. And the question is, why? Like, there's that curiosity question. Why? Like, why was this thing called the church formed? Why was it created? Uh, it, it wasn't to give us some religious duty to fulfill on Sundays. It, it wasn't to make us miss the pregame show before the Steelers game. Uh, and it wasn't even just to simply bring us together so that we could be unified. That's not why the church was formed. The church was established with two primary goals. The first, the first goal was to help believers grow in their faith so they could learn how to follow Jesus better. There was this idea of, of, of epistemic curiosity, like learning information, 
gaining information, learning how do we follow Jesus better. But then there was a second one, and it was to organize believers, followers of Jesus, to meet the needs around them. You see this right out of the gate, like from the beginning. Uh, as, as, as this thing called the church is being formed and coming into, taking on shape, um, we see this immediately. Acts chapter 2, verse 42. These verses, we see the purpose of the church fleshed out. They didn't put words to it. They didn't like say, this is our purpose. We put it on the wall and everyone needs to follow it. This is just what they did. Why? Because this is what the Holy Spirit was leading them to, these two purposes. Verse 42, it says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to bread, prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. There's purpose one. Like to, to grow and what it means to follow Jesus, to grow in their faith. And then verse 44, purpose number two. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Now, if you go look at verse 44, if you can leave that on the screen for a second. If, if you look at verse 44, uh, it says they had everything in common. You'd be like, like, like they're all the same, they all are like. No, they all had a common understanding of the needs around them. They all had a common understanding of their responsibility to meet those needs. That, that's why like, you didn't see any like, big petition or push here that's referenced where the apostles get out and say, you need to give, you need to help. No, there was a common understanding that there are needs around us and we should meet those needs. That is our responsibility. I know we live in, in a culture where oftentimes the, 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 the approach or posture is, I need to take care of my needs, I am most important, and whatever I can get out of life is for me to, to determine, and I'm gonna do it. And it becomes kind of a me-centered uh, approach, like the universe revolves around us. Even if we don't, we're not cocky or arrogant about it, that's kind of our posture oftentimes as Americans. But, but here's the deal. What we see here in Acts 2 is completely contrary to that. It, it says, hey, the church exists to, to gather us together, to grow in our faith, and number two, we exist to meet the needs around us, to, to organize ourselves so we can meet needs, so we can serve people, so we can help people. Like, this is remarkable from the beginning. And I'll tell you, over 2,000 years in church history, we have diverged from that at different points. We have, we have become uh, sometimes focused on ourselves, obsessed with ourselves, intoxicated with ourselves, and, and, and that's a dangerous place to be. But I think it's important for us to come back saying, wait a minute, God hasn't called us to be uh, full of ourselves, puffed up about ourselves. He's called us to be curious about others. Curious about how we can grow in our faith. Curious about how we can help serve and meet needs. Over these last 2,000 years, the church has always been at its best in that, that history when it functions with a high level of curiosity. You can do the church study. I've taken the courses in Bible college. I've studied. I've read about it. You can read it. It's fascinating. The church's peak, like their best moments, have always been the moments where their level of curiosity is higher. Epistemic curiosity that drives their desire to know God more and more so we can follow Jesus better. And empathetic curiosity that pushes the church to be in tune with the needs of the world around them. In fact, I'll give you an example. In 2006, a woman by the name of Kay Warren, she's the wife of Rick Warren who pastored, just retired, but pastored Saddleback Church in Southern California. Uh, she was reading an article about the AIDS epidemic in Africa. Uh, this set in motion a series of events that led Rick and Kay Warren, along with their congregation there in California, to step out 
and, and try to be part of the solution of the AIDS epidemic in Africa. As, Warren began, uh, as the Warrens began to, to become curious about the significant need in Africa, they began speaking with officials across the continent that have discovered one of the biggest issues facing the AIDS epidemic in Africa was the lack of adequate distribution systems for medicines, for treatments, for awareness. There was no like on the ground way to distribute these things. That's when the Holy Spirit started to connect the dots for Pastor Rick Warren. The church was the perfect distribution system. It was local, it was there. I love this statement he made. Uh, he, he, he said this about, about this time. He said, with 2.1 billion people, and this was a few years ago, now it's 2.2 billion, but with 2.1 billion people claiming to be followers of Christ, Christianity is the largest organization, has the widest network, and offers the biggest volunteer force on the planet. The church is larger than any country, government, or business. In many parts of the world, the church is the only civil society structure. Think about that. The church. And, and, and here's the problem that Rick Warren goes on to explain that he tried to help solve by, by being part of the solution of the AIDS epidemic in Africa and getting his church mobilized. Uh, here's what he said. He said, the church is the body of Christ, but the hands and feet have been amputated and we've become, and now we're, we're, we're just a big mouth, known for what we're against. I pray, listen to this, I prayed, God, will you use me to reattach the hands and the feet to the body of Christ so that, so that the whole church cares about the whole gospel in a whole new way. Man, that last statement, that is our heartbeat, that the whole church can, can care about the whole gospel in a whole new way. You see, we are part of something that is so much bigger than ourselves. But if we stop being curious, we'll start to believe the lie that the church exists for me, and it doesn't. It doesn't exist for you, and it doesn't exist for me. It exists for them, for those outside our walls. It exists to transform the world around us. And that transformation is stunted when we stop being curious about the needs around us. It's almost like when we put up a wall between us and others, we also put up a wall to our own growth and transformation, like we, we stunt our own growth. In Acts chapter 16, there's this really interesting moment where we see curiosity at work and one of the giants of the faith in the early church, a guy by the name of Paul, we call him the Apostle Paul. He was on his second missionary journey and was in the city of Troas, which is in modern day Turkey. And while he was there, he and his team were hoping to, to take the gospel to Asia. And the Holy Spirit, for some reason, just kept prompting them and, and, and keeping them from going to Asia, and they didn't know why. And then one night, Paul has this vision. It's recorded in, in Acts 16, verse 9. It says, During the night, Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia standing and begging him, Come over to Macedonia and help us. After Paul had seen the vision, uh, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that, that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Now, this quote-unquote Macedonian call would result in one of the great churches in the first century, the church of Philippi. If you are familiar with the New Testament book of Philippians, that was written to the church in Philippi. This was a church that you might not know much about it, but was very poor. They had very, very little, and yet they gave more than anyone. They were such a generous church. It, it, was, it was the work of the Holy Spirit that piqued Paul's curiosity toward the needs of Macedonia that led to this pivotal moment 
where the gospel was advanced and this new church in the city of Philippi was established. Earlier, uh, in Acts chapter six, the church was growing so quickly that the needs around them were being neglected. This was troubling. Specifically, the needs of the widows were being overlooked. And and it wasn't for a a bad reason. It was because the early church leaders, who we, we refer to as the apostles, the early church leaders were preaching and teaching fulfilling that epistemic curiosity. They're sharing how to follow Jesus. But they weren't able to fulfill their empathetic curiosity, meet the ever-growing needs around them. So they recognized, hey, we're not gonna sacrifice one for the sake of the other. Both are important. So what did they do? Here's what they did in Acts chapter six, verse one. It says, in those days when the number of disciples was increasing, so more and more people were gathering, this was exciting, the Hellenistic Jews... Among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. Now, I'll stop here for a second. This was a cultural war. This was basically a, a kind of a, a, an ethnic divide here that was taking place. That you had these two different groups of Jews. They were angry because one who was the majority was getting taken care of. The minority was being uh, basically overlooked. And they're saying, well, this isn't right. Someone's being overlooked. Uh, and I think this is such a, an important component of the church that we seek out, we pursue those who are overlooked. We pursue those who are disenfranchised. We pursue those who are marginalized by society. This is a staple of the church of Jesus Christ for 2,000 years, all the way back to Jesus. He picked disciples that were marginalized, were on the outskirts, were not the, the best of the best, were not you know, the chosen of, of, of society, and, and, and that's continued for 2,000 years. This is such an important part of the curiosity that we we seek out the marginalized and overlooked. And here, the, the marginalized are being overlooked. Verse two, so the 12 gathered all the disciples together and said, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Now, uh, that could sound really like offensive, like that's beneath us. That's not what they're saying. They're not saying that's beneath us because they had been doing it. Uh, they're, they're trying to meet two needs at the same time. They're trying to preach the, the gospel, preach the word of God and help train and, 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 and share with people how they can follow Jesus better. And they're also trying to meet the needs. And, and they're saying, like, we're running out of time. There's more people coming in and there's more needs represented and we only have 24 hours in a day and we need to do one or the other. And we are more equipped to share the gospel. They were followers of Jesus. They'd literally been his disciples. Uh, so they're more equipped to do that. Let's do that. And let's find men. And here's where this goes on. Verse three says, brothers and sisters, choose men, seven men from among you who are known, listen to this, to be full of the spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them and we'll give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. So it wasn't like they were gonna neglect that. They said, let's do this. And, and, and this is interesting. They said that these men need to be full of the spirit and wisdom. Why, why would they do that? It's because of this. Because the Holy Spirit increases their curiosity toward the needs around them. And uh, the wisdom allows them what we might call uh, be more discerning about how to meet those needs. This is such a pivotal moment for the early church. Because if they hadn't gotten over this, this would have been a massive roadblock. Like the church wouldn't be what it is today. It would have basically fizzled out right there. But it stayed true to the mission because your why will be most clear when curiosity is most near. As they recognized the importance of curiosity in their makeup, they maintained and sustained what is now 2,000 year old remarkable movement of Jesus. And they, they, they could have abandoned one quickly, easily for the sake of the other. They could have said, forget about the widows. We're here just to share the word of God. That's all why, that's the only reason we're here. And, and churches have done that. 
Or, or they could have said, forget about preaching the word, forget about training people and equipping them. And we talked about last week that all scriptures God breathed and it's useful. Like, forget about that. We've got real needs. There are widows who don't have food and, and they need to take, be taken care of. Let's go all in with that. They could have done either one of those, but they chose option C. They, they found option C. It wasn't an either or. It was a both and. Like they chose the option that didn't seem to fit. Uh, and they said both of these are important. They had a passion to help people grow as disciples of Jesus while not inhibiting their awareness and ability to meet the needs around them. Now in, in the church world, consultants and scholars and speakers often discuss and debate the same conundrum in the modern church. The debate is, do we prioritize the development of this or discipleship of those within the church? Or do we focus all our attention on meeting the needs around us? What do we do? Like, we gotta pick one. They might simply uh, simplify the question by, by saying this, are we supposed to be more inward focused or more outward focused? And it's a valid question and a really valid debate. For us here at Calvary, here's, here's where we land on this debate. Like, should we be more inward focused or outward focused? Should we focus on developing and discipling those who are here to be better followers of Jesus? Or should we focus uh, our efforts on meeting the needs around us? And, and here's our answer. It's yes. It's yes. It's not one or the other. It's both. Our answer is yes, we shouldn't abandon one for the other. We should do both. Because in being curious about the needs around us and working to meet those needs, we actually end up triggering our epistemic curiosity and we learn more about God and what he's called us to do in the process. Have you ever found out that you oftentimes learn things as you do them better? You, like, you, you, you learn things about yourself as you do them? This is one of our reasons, the reasons we have this hope that every person in our church will go on a, a Calvary Cares trip internationally or somewhere. Why? Because as you're doing the work of ministry in a different context, you're gonna learn stuff about yourself and what God has called you to. You'll, you'll discover your why, and it'll be more clear. Why? Because you're kind of forced to be curious. You know, if you're like dropped into a different culture, you're forced to be curious. I remember one trip I went on to Haiti, and I'd never been to Haiti, and it was such a different place, and, and, and it was just uh, so different than Pittsburgh, Okay. The language is different. The culture is different. The people are different. Uh, everything's different. Uh, I mean, I remember doing my laundry over there in the sink, and, and it was with water that was caught from a catch basin and rain. It was like brown uh, coming from the sink. And I'm like, I don't know if I'm cleaning my clothes or making them more dirty, but I'm going to do it either way. And, and like it's just a, it was a different world, out of the box. But you know what? I became more curious because I was forced into it. I had to ask questions. I had to be more aware and that's what happens when we step out and are used by God. This is what our hope, our calling is for, for us as a church. And this is because your why will be most clear when curiosity is most near. As the worship team comes today, I'm not here to give you three steps to be more curious. Like, I'm not here to say, hey, if you do these three things, like, you're just gonna magically be more curious. It's gonna be, like, simple. It's an easy thing. That's not what I'm here I wanna give you two, two just really simple thoughts. And, and we're gonna wrap up today a little early to really just take some time to just worship and to seek God together with no real structure, but just an opportunity to spend some time in the presence of God. Here's the first, first thought. Uh, what, what are you doing to make yourself more curious? You know, um, 
we have this idea as Americans, like we exist for the pursuit of happiness. That's like our, our calling sometimes. We, we want to pursue happiness. Uh, I'll be honest, sometimes in our pursuit of happiness, we miss actually the point. Because God's desire, his wiring for us isn't to pursue happiness, but holiness. And, and what I mean by that isn't that we are pursuing perfection. We're pursuing God's path, his way. And his way is that he wants to, to grow you and invest in you and stretch you so that you can help others. Not just so that you can grow. Like you, his growth in you, his development in you, the transformation that, that God can do in you radically isn't simply for your benefit. It's so that you can help others. I heard this saying, I think it's so powerful, that you will be most effective at serving those who are where you used to be. You're wired and gifted to serve those who are where you used to be. Like God wants to transform you and, and invest in your life and, and see you grow, ultimately, so he can do something through you, not just in you. And, 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 and the question is, how do we develop our curiosity? You know, sometimes in our pursuit of happiness, I don't know if you've ever done this in the winter, like you're driving and, and, and the frost is still in the windshield. You don't have to raise your hand, I know who you are. You got your head out the window, right? And you're trying to see down the road because you know you're gonna hit something because there's frost in the window. And you get the defroster going and like 10 minutes in after your head's on the window and you have like ice you know, hanging from your face and everything, like the defroster's working and you got a little window. And then instead of hanging out the window, you got like this. And you're like trying to, you're like, like that's what happens when we're pursuing happiness. We're trying to pursue a purpose and we've got like this little view. But God has called us to pursue holiness. He's called us to discover who he wants us to be and what he wants us to do. And that starts with being curious, being aware. And, and, and we're gonna get to this in a second, but when we step toward him and the more of him we have in our lives, the more aware we become of the needs around us. And here's a simple, simple practice. I'd love for you to do this week. Real simple. It's a conversation. Maybe it's with your spouse. Maybe it's with a coworker. Maybe it's with a friend. But have it with someone. Don't just do this yourself, okay? I want you to ask, what are the three biggest needs around you that God has specifically positioned you to be part of the solution for? What are three needs around? You might be like, whoa, 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 Nick, calm down here. Like, I don't have time or resources. I'm not asking you for time or resources. I'm saying in the regular part of your day, I believe strongly you are placed in your job, in your neighborhood, in your family, exactly where you are for a reason, for a purpose. God doesn't waste anything. He doesn't waste your season. He doesn't waste your training. He doesn't waste your education. He doesn't waste your, 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 your season of life. He doesn't waste any of that. What are the top three needs that God has specifically positioned you to be a solution for? Are you gonna solve it completely yourself? Probably not, because we never solve anything ourselves. That's the importance of working together. But what are the three biggest needs that God has specifically positioned you to be part of the solution for? Not us as a church, I'm just talking about you. I want you to have that conversation this week. Maybe during halftime at the game when the Steelers are up by like 40 and you're trying to just occupy your time and, and you're like, what are we gonna do now? Hey, what are the three biggest needs that God's positioned me to be part of a solution for? Have that conversation with, it might be a spouse, it might be a friend, it might be a coworker, I don't know who for you in your life, but have it with someone. That, that's not just, you know, about money. See, God uses more than just money. God uses our time, our talent, our treasure. But I think there's one more. He uses our influence. Sometimes we have influence. 
I wanna position, I want you to position yourself to be in a place to be curious. Being curious is asking more questions than making statements. We need to stop making statements and start asking questions. That doesn't sound like something Jesus would do. Actually, read the gospels. He asked a lot of questions. He asked way more questions than he made statements. It's a very Jewish thing. It, it was very common for rabbis to ask questions, but it's a really a Jesus thing. Stop making statements and start asking questions. Position yourself to be curious. If you see a need and a problem, you say, hey, these are the three biggest problems that God has positioned me to be part of the solution for. Don't come in with all the solutions. Find the people affected by those needs and start asking questions. And then through those questions, you're gonna discern that wisdom. You're gonna identify how you can help meet them. This is a really important part of our discipleship, of our growth, that you don't just expect someone to do it for you, but that you can learn how to identify the needs and be used by the Holy Spirit to meet those needs. So what are the top three needs that God has positioned you to be part of the solution for? And the second thing, I believe one of the greatest things we can do to become more aware of the needs around us, to become more curious about what's happening in our world, not detached, but actually engaged, is to wait on the Holy Spirit, to be filled with the Holy Spirit, to, to position ourselves in the presence of God. That, that's because in the presence of God, we're transformed, we're, we're changed, and we become more in tune with what's happening around us, just as the Apostle Paul did on, uh, with that Macedonian call, just as the, the disciples did in, in that upstairs room in, the, in downtown Jerusalem. God hasn't called us to just exist for our gathering. We are a church without walls, yeah, we need to be clear on scripture. Like that is our guide, it is so important. But if we just become students of scripture, we're missing the point. Because in the, in the first century, there were a group of men who were, who were Sadducees and, 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 uh, and, and Pharisees, and they were religious leaders, and they had memorized scripture. They knew it backwards and forwards. And Jesus said they were, they were whitewashed tombs. They looked perfect on the outside, but were full of dead men's bones. Why? Because they had lost the heart of it. It's not just about being clear in scripture, it's also about being curious about the needs around us. Seeking God and allowing the Holy Spirit to pique our awareness of the needs that you may have become oblivious to. Or you may have been like, that's beyond me. I'm not saying we're gonna, we're gonna solve world hunger here. What I'm saying is, there's a need in the cubicle next to you. There's a need with your neighbor down the street. There's a need with that person you see every day at, at Starbucks. There's needs around you that God has put you there. And he's like, man, Nick, just open your eyes. Like, I can't tell you how many times you've walked in front of that person and they need something so badly and you're missing it because you're so wrapped up in yourself, so wrapped up in what you're doing. Don't miss it. And what we're gonna do today is, is we're gonna take some time here. We, we're finishing a little early here so that we can just seek God and see the Holy Spirit work in us. Our kids' leaders, they're, they're, they're aware, hey, we, if, we, if we have to stay a little longer and we're not gonna rush off and we're not trying to, to, to wrap up, we're not gonna like lock the doors or anything. If you need to go, go quietly, you know. But we're gonna take some time to worship God together. So if you can stand with me this morning. And I believe today isn't just another day. I don't know why you came to church today. I don't know why you're watching online or those gathered in the shelters. Like maybe this is just a routine for you. Maybe this is just something you do. But I don't wanna you know, ruin your day. 
But I'm here to tell you, none of us on this platform, none of us who are leaders, we get here early, we're praying. None of us are walking into this as a routine day. This isn't a routine day. God circled this day on the calendar for you, for this moment. Why? Because not for you, it's for the people around you. Because God's like, finally, I'm gonna get them. Not, not get them like capture them, but capture their heart and their passion that I can, I can show them and let them be curious about the needs around them and see there are men and women all around us that desperately need hope and need Jesus and need healed and transformed and, and he's put you in their lives. This is an opportunity to open the eyes, open our eyes and take the scales off our eyes that we can see those needs. We're gonna take some time to worship here. If you feel comfortable, just putting your hands out. Lord, this morning, we just wanna take a few moments not just rush off, Lord. We have so much going on. Our calendars are so full. We are so busy. God, I pray you'll just take these few moments together, Lord, to put our hearts at ease, to give us a peace and a calm in your presence, Lord, to remove all the distractions, to remove all the obstacles, to remove all the stuff, Lord, that so often clouds our view, our anxieties and stresses. And God, let us take this moment just to hear from you, to receive from you in this place. Let your spirit fill us and empower us and guide us, Lord, that we can see things as you see them, that we can seek you, that, Lord, this time with you will change what we see, will change how we seek you. We thank you, God, for that. Let's sing the song together this morning. This is Pastor Nick Pohl, the lead pastor at Calvary. We're so glad you joined us for today's podcast. I hope you enjoyed the message. At Calvary Church, we're passionate about leading people into an overflowing life with Jesus. We would love the opportunity to connect with you on your faith journey and hear what God is doing in your life or join you in prayer for any needs you might have. You can visit us online at calvaryirwin.com or send us an email at info at calvaryirwin.com. On our website, you'll find previous week's messages, a list of upcoming events, as well as resources designed to help you take those next steps on your journey of faith. See you next week and may the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. 